Lord, you are good, and you call us to taste and see that you are good. Lord, you tell us that we are blessed when we take refuge in you. Lord, that those who fear you and know you, they, they will lack no good thing. And so we come to you who are good, Father, and we ask you to bless us with your goodness today. Lord, thank you that we can celebrate your beauty. Thank you that we can celebrate all that you have done for us. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to bring your spirit and power on our gathering. Teach us, Lord, from your word today. Bless all that is happening here in this room. Lord, open hearts to you. May Jesus be lifted high. And Lord, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, today's a special day. We have uh, the opportunity uh, to enjoy uh, some special guest speakers who are with us this morning. And I've heard them once. And I can tell you ahead of time, you're going to enjoy uh, what God has to say uh, to us through them. And so I want to welcome Bill and Pam Farrell. And you guys can come on up. Uh, Bill and Pam are uh, internationally known marriage and family speakers. They've written over 50 books. They've been uh, traveling around our country um, and around the world for decades now, sharing God's uh, love and God's message with so many different people and just have some really incredible things to say. And without, I'm just going to let you guys get after it. Uh, we're so glad you're here. And we're all praying that God will speak uh, again uh, to this church family through you. So again, welcome them, and let's, yeah. let's hear God's word. Well, it is a privilege to be here, Pastor Mike. Thank you very much. We uh, considered an honor to be invited here and to spend the day with all of you. And um, th this is a mild homecoming for me. I was actually born at Sutter Memorial Hospital in Sacramento, and uh, my parents met at Cal Berkeley. And my, uh, my mom's family is, uh, was stationed up in Vacaville, California. And so, my, my dad, for a while, mm -hmm. was uh, in corporate headquarters over in Stockton during my college years. So I've been in your neck of the woods and have enjoyed it. We are a part of those from the Valley. Uh, Bill started in ministry in Bakersfield. Um, yeah. And yes, we know. It's the brunt of a lot of jokes, but we were still <laughs> from Bakersfield. <clears throat> But we are excited to be here today to talk to you about some of what we have learned about how relationships work, because we know a lot of our best memories in life come out of our relationships. For instance, I have a, I have a friend, eight-year-old, has an eight-year-old son, and they were making dinner together. And you know, often little boys like to kind of imitate their dads, and so this, this little boy thought, okay, I'm going to do what my dad's doing, and he reached up on the counter, pulled a jar off the counter, and he was going to open it up to help his dad. Well, as he tried to get the lid off, he could not get the lid to move. So in frustration, he said, Dad, can you help me? So Dad took the lid, whoosh, I took, the jar, took the lid right off. And the little boy looked at him and said, Dad, how come I couldn't get the lid off? And Dad said, well, son, the jar that you pulled off the counter, it has a child-proof cap on it. The little boy thought for a moment, looked back at his dad, and he said, Dad, how did it know it was me? 
Yes, God knows you. God knows all about you and your marriage and your family. And it's been our prayer that while we're here with you, that you would experience um, God's personal post-it note from heaven to your heart, from heaven to your home. We're going to be talking about uh, the keys to successful relationships this morning. So look for your key that will unlock one of the relationships that matter most to you. And one of the things we know about all of you is that you carry relationships on your heart. That we all tend to evaluate the quality of our life based on how our relationships are going. So if our relationships are going well, we think life's going pretty well. If relationships are struggling, we tend to think life is struggling. And the reason why that is true is because relationships are on the heart of God and we are created in his image. There's one place in the Bible that we know of where eternal life is defined. It's John chapter 17, verse three. Jesus was praying to his heavenly father and he said, this is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the one place in the Bible where eternal life is defined, it's defined as a relationship. It's not a destination, it's not a length of time, it's a relationship with the God who created you and with his son. And because relationships are so a part of who God is, he passed it on to us, and relationships are key in our lives. And God cares so much about our relationships that he put a book right in the middle of the Bible that's all about relationships. It's the Song of Songs, or some translations have Song of Solomon, and it is the story of a husband and his wife, it's King Solomon and his wife, and as the backstory plays out, we get presented with principles about relationships that make all of our relationships work better. And again, it's so important to God that he put it right in the middle of the Bible to remind us that this is a priority. And in chapter two, we get a snapshot. There's just three keys that if you take these keys and you apply them to any relationship in your life, that relationship is going to improve. And so let's take a look at them. The very first key to successful relationships is to recognize the value of those that you love. And can I just state the obvious, folks? Everybody in your life that you know is amazing and remarkably talented. Everybody you know is really good at something. They they, they have some remarkable talent, remarkable gift in their life. And they can... They have insight and talent in areas that are just absolutely amazing. And everybody you know is really irritating. Amen? Because we're all imperfect. So we've all got these quirks, we've all got these areas of life that are frustrating, but we're also highly talented. And you have a choice every day of your life which side you're going to focus on. If you want to be amazed with the people in your life, you can do that every day of your life. If you want to be irritated with the people that you know, you could do that every day of your life. It's your choice. And we see it play out here in Song of Songs. Did you watch this? Okay. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 1, she's talking and she says this. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Now, would you agree with me? This sounds like she's pretty confident. Sounds like she's looking in the mirror and she goes, gosh, look at me. I kind of look like a flower. You know, I'm kind of beautiful, right? Isn't that what it sounds like? Okay, what you really need to know is what she's doing is she's fishing for compliments. Okay, this rose of Sharon, it was a little flesh-colored flower. It was the single most common wildflower that grew on the hills around her family farm. So if you walked outside in the springtime and you looked at the hills, 
these flowers would be everywhere. They were so common you couldn't pick one out from another because they were growing everywhere. The lily of the valley, it's a little white flower. It's the second most common wildflower and it bloomed late in the season. And again, if, if they were in bloom and you walked out, you would see them everywhere. So what she's saying to Solomon is, like, I'm so ordinary, I'm so common, you would probably never pick me out in a crowd. I'm just a dandelion, I'm just ice plant. And guys, don't you hate this when women do this? <laughs> you know, they walk in the room, notice anything different? <laughs> yeah, and you're like praying for wisdom that you'll see anything, right? Because if you get it right, you're her hero for the day. And if you get it wrong, it takes all day to recover. And like we set our men up, you know, too often times, girls, we say things like, do I look fat in this? And there's no real safe answer for a male to give you for that question. The closest Bill has come is, I don't know, I'm so bedazzled by your beauty, I can't think straight. Yeah, that one worked pretty good. So... In verse 2, we see that Solomon could not have responded better. He says these words, like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. And folks, I just pray for moments to be this smooth. Because he says, whoa, 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 you do not understand. Compared to you, every woman on the planet is a thorn and you are the single flower. He just could not have done better. And we know that he nailed it because his wife responds in kind. Right, so she boomerangs back this statement, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. So when you're in an evergreen forest, how many apple trees do you see? Not many. Not that many. Mm -hmm. And that's what she's saying. She's like, you're an anomaly. You're one in a million. You stand out from the crowd. So she's given this conf uh, like confidence, I mean, compliment and a blessing, encouraging words. And statistically, um, like that might feel like a lot, like a little bit over the top encouragement. But statistically, it takes five positive statements for every one negative statement to keep a relationship happy and healthy. Mm -hmm. So now we want you to make this personal, folks. Like there is a group of people in this world that you carry on your heart. Like, you know lots of people, you interact with lots of people, but there's a few people that you just carry with you. And when they're doing better, you're doing better. When they're struggling, you're struggling. I want you to picture who those people are for you. And as you think about those people, we want to show you the three people <clears throat> that we carry on our heart all the time. So um, God blessed us with three sons. I'm not sure why he didn't give us daughters, but we, we now have granddaughters, so we're learning. But he gave us three sons. And we just carry these guys on our heart. Like, the, there's three people in the world that I, I'm not very objective about. I'm real objective about your kids. I'm not objective about these three, okay? But I would tell you very honestly, all three of these young men, they are remarkably talented and remarkably irritating, okay? The one in the middle, that's our oldest son, Brock. <coughs> he was uh, just born a natural leader. Like, we knew early on he was going to lead something because when he was about so big, he was bossing kids around on the playground, teaching them how to play correctly. Okay, so born leader, it's no surprise to us that he's now a head football coach uh, for a high school in Arizona. 
But he also was not born with a... Thank you. Yeah, go, go Hawks. Um, he wasn't born with a single ounce of natural tact. So if you disagree with him when he was growing up, you were stupid. Now, I think you, you understand. If married or not, you understand calling somebody else stupid is not a real good marriage skill. It's not a good relationship skill. Right. If you, if you launch that on your wife... Oh, you disagree with me. You're stupid. That's not going to help the relationship much. And so we had to teach him how to be tactful because he wasn't born with any of it. Okay, so that's our oldest son. Our, our middle son right here is Zachary. Um, you can probably tell from the picture he's got more personality than the other two. And um, he, was our, he was our adventure. He was our big, uh, like, he, he's a source of a lot of stories. And um, he's Walked on the edge of yeah. life. Like, like, he's really gifted at reading people. Like, he could come in the room, spend a little bit of time with you, and figure out, do you need encouragement? Do you need a challenge? Do you need, do you need sympathy? Do you need to just be cheered on? He, he just figures that stuff out really quickly. But if this is the, like Pam was saying, if this is the edge between, that's what you shouldn't be doing in life, this is what you should be doing in life, he likes to be at the edge leaning over. Yeah. And, and that, that, that'll probably always be true of him, except now he's got two kids that are helping him learn differently. Um, so that's Zachary. Um, and then our youngest son, Caleb, um, he is, uh, he's the most intelligent of the three. He currently works as a mechanical engineer for GE Appliance, um, and he's got a really soft heart. So he's always had a soft heart towards Jesus, always had a soft heart towards people, but he is the most stubborn person in our family. Like his favorite line growing up was just one more thing, just one more thing, just one more thing, just one more thing. And if he doesn't want to do anything, he is gifted at digging his heels in and not moving. So again, all three of them are incredible, and all three of them are irritating, and it's up to us which side we want to focus on. And so we want to share with you what we did. We came across this verse, Psalm 145, 3 through 4, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another, they will tell of your mighty acts. And we read that verse and said, okay, God, we need to figure out how to do this, because we both grew up in homes that shouldn't be repeated. So how do we learn to do this and help our young men figure this out? So we're going to share with you what we did, hopefully to stimulate thinking on what you can do to help the people that you carry on your heart. And so when Brock was a little baby, I was rocking him, and Bill was a youth pastor. I'm like, Lord, it seems like some kids seem to stumble and fall at 18, and some seem to soar. What can we do to help our kids soar and succeed? And so I began to interview a lot of the healthy parents and families and um, dig into the word of God. And I, we, we, we always have a, we decided we needed to be proactive because we came from crazy and chaos. So we needed to be proactive. And so um, we decided that we we're going to have a family motto, a family mission statement, a family moniker or crest. And this is our family crest. And um, so the three L's stand for learners, leaders who love God. And we decided we're going to have a learner leader day once a year where we would negotiate privileges and responsibilities. And um, we would give a gift that applauded the passion, the calling that we saw God building into uh, that young life. Um, and... 
we were looking for, um, Psalms 139 says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And in Proverbs, it says that, to a child in the way he should go. And that term way she, he should go means according to their God-given bent. So our goal was to try to see God's God-given bent in each one of our kids and help them soar into God's plan and purpose for their life. So on Learner and Leader Day, we decided we would give a gift uh, that applauded that calling. And um, on the on the moniker, uh, that cross with the star, that means that if, when you connect to your creator, that you can then discover your uniqueness and shine like the stars. And the hearts, that stands for pharaohs keep their promises, especially in the area of relationships. And so we would give them a gift, um, a learn leader gift, uh, and we would first choose what we call forced feral family fun, a fun activity to do together. Then sometime during the day, we would negotiate that learner and leader contract. And um, then we would give the gift. And the gift was three things. It was practical. It's not going to break the family bank, so like a lunchbox or a gym bag. Um, or it might be um, also, um, it's going to be prophetic or speaks to the promise or potential of that child. And it's also going to be personal. You know, I thought of you, son, not cookie cutter, rig, it's the same thing. And so um, year after year, we would give those learner leader gifts and we would uh, do the learner leader chart. And we'll start with Brock, because um, he's our oldest. And so um, early on, we figured out he was great at athletics. And so because of that, his he might get a gym bag with a verse on it, like run in such a way that you might win or excel still more. Maybe a poster of a Christian athlete that had been signed to him. Or perhaps Sports Spectrum Magazine, which is kind of like Sports Illustrated, but without the swimsuit edition. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the gifts that he got. Well, um, he kept, um, you know, moving forward in his athletic um, skills. He ended up wanting to go to um, San Marcos High uh, Public School from a private Christian school of six to a public high school of closer to 6,000. And so he's like, okay, what is my strength? What is my calling? What is my passion? And in Got Teen's book, we talk about that if you have um, a child that by the time they're 13, you've figured out their strength, um, then they can stand on that strength as a platform and reach out and make positive, good decisions. And so your teen years and your young adult years are going to be a little bit easier with them. And so, okay, I'm get, I have athletics. I want to go out for the, all the teams, three-sport athlete. And so he was named captain of the freshman football team, captain of the JV um, basketball team, captain of the JV volleyball team. And he had a... Um, pizza party for each one of those teams where he would either bring in a Christian athlete to speak or Brock would maybe show a video or some video clips of Christian athletes. And then he's like, well, um, dad, I'll, I'll share my personal story of faith too and give my friends an opportunity to come to know Jesus in a personal way. Well, as a result of those pizza party, over 30 of his friends came to know Christ in a personal way. But he's like, hey, your van only holds seven, can't get 30 kids to youth group. What if we start something on campus? And so he and some friends started Fellowship of Christian Athletes Huddle 
on that campus, which grew to be about 200 strong uh, by the time he was a senior. And um, so he went on, and his senior year, we always prayed that um, something might bring God's name into that graduation ceremony. And it ended up being Brock's bio. Um, he won Athlete of the Year in San Diego. Um, and the NFL players gave him a scholarship. And he won a um, award called Night of the Year, which was given by the uh, teachers. And it was his um, bio of starting fellowship of Christian athletes that brought God's name into that uh, graduation. And um, so he went on to get a scholarship to Liberty University. And after he'd been at Liberty just a short amount of time, I did a book signing in Phoenix, Arizona, and I told the story out of 10 Best Decisions, a parent can make book about Brock um, when he was starting quarterback um, at San Marcos High. And he called his friends up and he's like, hey, after we win this game against Fallbrook, let's all go to the 50-yard line and get down on one knee and pray and thank God for the game. Okay, this is pre-Tim Tebow years. So let's pray and thank God for the game. And all of his friends are like, yeah, we're there for you, man, until the game came. And then they played the game, lost 38 to nothing. Our son threw four interceptions that night. It was his worst game as a, in his entire football career. And it was just a really bad night for a bunch of high school athletes. And they all kind of wandered to the bus, discouraged, depressed, disillusioned, all except for Brock, who went to the 50-yard line all by himself. And you can hear me on the video camera, as Bill was filming the game, saying, Bill Brock's all alone. Should I, like, run down there and pray with him? Like a high school quarterback wants his mommy to come running down on the field. <laughs> Help him with anything. I said, no. But as I said, he's all alone. The Holy Spirit whispered to me, hey, don't you remember that book you wrote, that parenting book? And uh, when Brock was like a baby, he wrote out that prayer. And uh, there's a line in there that says, Lord, we want our kids to be like a Daniel or a Joseph willing to stand alone for their faith if necessary. I'm answering that prayer. Leave the boy alone. And just then, three players from the opposing team came and knelt next to Brock. And we ended up going down to the field. I wrapped my arms around Brock, and I said, Brock, we have always raised you boys. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. And our family motto is for Samuel 2.30, those who honor God, God honors. And so I don't know when and I don't know how, but somehow God's going to honor you for this day. And so I am at this book signing in Phoenix. I tell that story. The bookstore owner says, where did you say Brock was the quarterback? I said, he's at Liberty. And she's like, oh, my hand is at Liberty. So we exchanged pictures and phone numbers of the kids. Yeah, arranged marriage. Um, so they did end up meeting each other and dating. Um, and then it came the big moment when Brock knew he wanted to marry Hannah. So he took her to the place that they had first met on campus and handed her a nail. Then he took her to the place they'd always say goodnight on this bench by the dorm and handed her another nail. Then he took her to the chapel that they had prayed about the relationship, handed her a piece of a board, and then took her off campus 
um, where she was sharing a home with friends and handed her the other board. Then he took those boards and hammered them together into the form of a cross and hammered the cross into the ground, got down on one knee and said, Hannah, I want our relationship to start and stay at the foot of the cross. Hannah, will you marry me? Hannah, will you kiss me for the first time? To which Hannah replied, yes, yes. And there's just something precious. Bill got to officiate the wedding and to hear your daughter-in-law that you have prayed for since before she was even born say to your son, Brock, you're such a man of integrity. You can be my night of the year every night of the year, uh, which then turned into eventually uh, a little while later. Right, they sent us this picture right here announcing that we were about to become grandparents. <laughs> and thank you. And now there's a new generation of pharaohs running around the world, and we're uh, asking the question, how can we help all of them recognize their value? And Brock was named uh, Arizona High School Football Coach of the Year. And um, one of the reasons why is because um, he coaches a little bit different. It's all about the family. And so he actually goes and meets all the family before the season starts. And at the end of the season, the players write their parents a thank you uh, letter and it's read at the banquet. So the parents like love wrong. Um, but uh, I, I think that um, part of the strength um, and God's anointing is Brock said, you know, I could be a pastor, but in a culture where there um, more than 50% of all boys do not have a dad in the home, a coach might be the closest thing to a dad. And so he, that is his philosophy of football. So our challenge for you today is to think through the people you carry in your heart, the people that matter most to you. What can you do to help them see their value? You may be one of the very few positive voices in their life because we live in a tough world. We live in a world where criticism is very popular. We live in a world where everybody's an expert on everybody else and it's not hard to figure out where your deficiency is. You may be the one who helps them recognize their giftedness, helps them recognize their passion, and gives them the confidence that they can do it. So just pray for wisdom. Like, God, what can I do to help the people I carry on my heart recognize their value? Second key to successful relationships is to resurrect anticipation. Right, one of the greatest relationship skills we've been given is anticipation. When you live with a sense of anticipation, it makes everything in life better, everything else a little bit brighter. And, and some of you understand that, because some of you came to church this morning with a sense of anticipation. As you were coming to church, you're going, I bet, I bet something good's going to happen today. I bet I'm going to have a good interaction with somebody. I'm going to learn something. We're going to have a great time in worship. And when you go home today, you're going to say, you know, church was pretty good today. Now, some of you came in the back door with a sense of expectation. Like, they better be nice to me today. And, and service better be, it better be enjoyable. And the problem with expectation is that it tends to lead to disappointment. Because life seldom turns out the way we all expect it to. But when you live with a sense of anticipation, it gets your eyes open to what God is doing and helps you enter into that experience quicker. And we see this play out in verses 8 and 9 of Song of Solomon chapter 2. She's talking again and she says, listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming. Now what's happening here is that Solomon is returning from a business trip. One of the reasons why we like this book so much is it's about a real couple. 
It's not about, you know, an independently wealthy person who doesn't have to work, who can drop everything at a moment's notice to go deal with somebody's emotional drama. This is a real couple with real jobs. And Solomon is often an extended business trip. He's a king of Israel. So he's off doing the king's business. He was gone long enough that she decided to go to her family farm and spend some time with mom and dad while he was out of town. Well, their communication systems are a little bit different back there. They don't have instant communication. They don't have cell phones. They don't have texting. They don't have TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat or any of those instant ways that we can communicate with one another. So they had to operate a little bit differently. And so what was happening is she'd been there long enough thinking, you know, it's about time for him to return. So she would get up in the morning. She'd come out in front of her parents' farm. She'd look out over the hills and she would say, is it today? No. And then she'd go about her daily uh, work and take care of her chores. Next morning, she'd get up, come outside. Is it today? No. And then she'd go about her daily operation. Well, this morning, she gets up. She looks out at the hills, and she can see the entourage coming. So she goes, it's today. Look, he's on his way. And, And I want you to hear what she saw. Listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. So what she saw was Solomon doing this. <laughs> Sir, what's your name? Shay, good to meet you. Shay, have you ever run like that in public? No. Yeah, right thank answer. you, Shay, because I can guarantee you Solomon wasn't running like that either. Okay, he is surrounded by the armies of Israel, He's surrounded by an entourage. There's no way the king of Israel is like, oh, I get to go home and see my wife. But the anticipation in her heart makes it look like that's what he's doing. Like you can hear the background music playing and they're running across the field right. to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and to his credit, he actually kept it going. He responds with a romantic game. Verse, the end of verse 9 says, Behold, he's standing behind our wall looking through the windows He's peering through the lattice. Now, back in those days, their windows didn't have glass. They made them out of latticework. So instead of going to the front door and going, honey, I'm home, he went to the side window. He said, hey, I'm over here. And, and when, he, when she came to find him, he moved. He went, no, 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 I'm over here. And he's, he's having her chase him around trying to get his attention. And what he's, the message he's trying to give across He's trying to say to his wife, I'm willing to do things with you that I wouldn't do with anybody else because of the value of our relationship. So what is this big event that he's building anticipation for? Well, it's in uh, verse 10. My lover spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come away with me. So it's basically a walk around her parents' property. So it's not so much the actual event, it's the anticipation building up to that event. Right, because what anticipation does is it takes normal life experiences and turns them into memories. And if you master the art of anticipation, it adds lots of value to your relationships. And we should understand it because we have a faith of anticipation. Jesus is coming back. Could be today, could be this week. Could be this month. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And we live in anticipation of that event. We live in anticipation that we are going to be in the presence of God one day and everything's going to be right. 
And anticipation transforms our daily experience into great memories. And I just want to remind all of us, folks, you realize this could be one of the best weeks of your life. This could be the week that God answers that prayer that you've been bringing up to him for months or years. This could be the week that something breaks open in your career and new opportunities present themselves. This could be the week that that reconciliation takes place in the relationship that you've been hoping for for a long time. This could be that week. It could be the week that you meet somebody that changes the trajectory of your life going forward. And when you live with anticipation and you're looking, it sets you up to cooperate with what God's doing. And so anticipation, it's a great gift to our relationships. And so in our marriage and in our love-wise ministry, um, we encourage people to have romantic rituals, those little things that you say and do that build anticipation. And so if you spend any time with Bill and I, um, you'll see that we always say grace and pray over the food, and then we kiss each other. And we have not missed a day or a meal in 42 years. It'll be 43 in December. Uh, where we kiss and we pray uh, and then we kiss. And so that's our romantic ritual. Um, our son, it, he's an engineer married to a doctor. And from the time they started, you know, dating, their romantic ritual, um, there's a picture that says, I love you, then I love you more. And so they would say that on the phone. I love you. The other person would answer, I love you more. Well, um, now that they're, you know, full on adulting, there's a big, um, like, chalkboard in their house. And it says, I love you more than. And so she might write, I love you more than all of the patient files I have to update. He might write, I love you more than all the equations that I'll use today at work. And so they just try to outlove each other. Our favorite romantic ritual, um, actually is a Canadian couple shared this with us. And um, her parents wanted something that they could communicate their love but without words. And so they would just hold hands and squeeze three times, I love you. And so you might be walking with Nana and Papa, you know, and they might squeeze your hand three times, I love you. Or maybe around Thanksgiving meal, they would squeeze everybody's hand, I love you, as far as the family culture. Um, you might catch them at church squeezing hands, I love you. Well, at the end, she said, at the end of my daddy's life, um, he was very sick and on hospice, and he hadn't spoken for weeks. And um, at the very end of his life, I was standing in the doorway. My sweet mom was right next to the bed. Her hand was on the bed. He reached over, daddy did, and took her hand and squeezed three times. I love you. Communicating to a sweet bride of over 50 years, exhaled and entered heaven. If you're here with somebody that you love, simply reach across and squeeze their hand three times. I love you. So recognize the value of those that you love. <laughs> Resurrect anticipation. The third key to successful relationships is to remove obstacles. Because we're all human and we're all imperfect, Every human relationship has obstacles in it. And when you remove those obstacles on a regular, consistent basis, your relationships tend to grow and develop. And the way it plays out here in the Song of Solomon, again, 
Solomon and his wife, after this business trip, are taking a walk around the family farm. And as they're walking around, they came across a grapevine that was turning brown and wilting. And she says to him, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. And what she's referring to by these, these animals they called little foxes, you and I would refer to them as gophers or moles. That they were burrowing animals that would go down and eat away at the roots of a grapevine, and a grapevine that should be lush and growing would turn dry and limp and would turn brown. And that's how you knew these animals were at work. And she uses that as an illustration for their relationship. Would you be diligent to remove obstacles in our relationship when you see them so that our love can be green and lush rather than wilting like this grapevine is right here? And what we've discovered is that most of the obstacles in relationships are, are caused by the small things. Like the big things, the crises we all respond to, it's those little things that happen over and over, day by day, that if we can be diligent to remove those, it would be helpful. And this afternoon, we'll be sharing from our bestseller, Men Are Like Waffles, Women Like Spaghetti, and showing how to make those differences work for you in a relationship. Maybe you grew up in a home like we did, a little bit of chaos and craziness, so you have missing skills. Or maybe the stress of life. Can I just get an amen that COVID years have been just mm. a little bit stressful? Mm -hmm. um, and then motivational differences. And Bill was um, working with a lot of um, the people in his coaching practice and noticing that they ran on different paces, how fast they like to live in life, and it was causing some conflict. Right, because one of the truths in life is that all of us have a pace at which we run best. And if you can be at that pace all day long, you will get to the end of the day and you won't be fatigued. If you're running faster than your pace, you're gonna get fatigued. If you're running slower than your pace, you're gonna get fatigued. But if you're running at your pace, you'll be at the end of the day and you, you'll be okay. But most of us are in relationship with people who run at a different pace than we do. And this is all referred to in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Again, this comes out of the Olympic Games, and in the Olympics, you have lots of different races, and all those races have their own pace. So if you run a sprint at a marathon pace, you're probably gonna lose. If you run a marathon at a sprint pace, you're probably gonna lose. But if you run your race at your pace, you have a good chance of being successful. And so one of the goals is to figure out what is your pace, what is the pace of the people you love, and how can you help each other be at your pace most of the time? And so Bill thought, okay, pays, maybe use vehicles. Right, so we're going to share with you five different vehicles. We want you to ask the question, which of these vehicles best describes the pace you like to live at? So look for who you are in these. The first is? Uh, some of you are a muscle car. you got a great big engine and you like to go fast. And it's best if you're going straight because sometimes you get squirrely in the turns, right? So your, your goal is that you see the destination and you wanna get there just as fast as you possibly can. So you're that person on vacation who says to everybody in the car, look, you can use the bathroom when we get there because we're gonna get there so fast, it's like there's no problem. And if the truth is told, you're a little disappointed there's a break in the car because you just wanna go. Let's go, 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 go. And the beauty of the muscle car is God entrusts you with big ideas because you don't get bogged down in the details. You just see where we're going, and you're going to plow your way there. And when people point out the obstacles along the side of the road, you get kind of frustrated with them because your goal is to blow by them so fast it's like they don't even exist. Okay, so some of you in the room, you're like a muscle car. 
And some of you in the room are like a sports car. Now, this is how I'm wired by God and um, how fast I like to live. And that is, I like to go fast, but I don't want to go straight. I want to be like, ooh, what's around the corner? Grab that brass ring. Ooh, shiny. Um, And so change is a part of my world. And um, oftentimes changing on a dime because you're going fast. And so a lot of entrepreneurs have this... um, Fast pace of life, the sports car, some of you. Fun to be around, hard to follow. Okay, some of you in the room, you're like a semi. It takes you a while to get up to speed in the direction you're going. Once you get up to speed, you can go at that speed for long periods of time, and you carry lots of responsibility. And because of that, you form the backbone of all of our organizations. Like you're great at handling systems, you're great at making things happen, you're great at routines. The only challenge with a semi is when you have to turn it. Because if you're going to turn a semi, you need time to slow that big rig down. You need a great big area to turn the rig in. And it takes you a while to get up to speed in the new direction. Once you're up to speed in the new direction, you're fine. And you can go fast in that direction. And so the challenge with the semi, although we greatly appreciate the semis, because they make all of life work, the challenge is when change is coming, they they need a warning. Like, I'm not real sure what happened to this truck right here, but I'm pretty sure it turned too fast. And when you turn a semi too fast, that's what you get is a lot of frustration and a lot of, uh, a lot of kickback. But if you give them time to turn and change, they do marvelously. And then some of you are like the mail truck. Now, the mail truck doesn't go as fast as the other vehicles um, because they like to stop and deliver packages along their way. This is how Bill is wired, the pace of life he prefers. And so um, he doesn't want to go swift through life because he wants the amount of time to stop, make sure everybody gets what they need to soar and succeed, and then move on to the next person. And so he's a little bit faster than the United Postal Service. Sorry if there's any postal workers here. More like maybe the UPS driver or the FedEx driver or perhaps uh, Amazon Prime. And so he likes to go a little bit quicker, but deliver what people need for success in their life. And so some of you are mail trucks. And then some of you are... A tractor. And the tractor has one speed, and that speed is slow. You ever seen the movie Zootopia and the sloth? And a lot of you get frustrated with the tractors. You're like, come on, go, go, speed up. Let's go, 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 move, move, move. And the tractor will say to you, okay, sure. And then they just carry on at their pace. And for those of you in the room who really are frustrated with the tractors, Can I just remind you that God made some people to run at a tractor pace because there are some things in life that need to be done very deliberately with lots of traction. And so God designed this into some people. Like we learned the importance of the tractors when we were on a Christmas vacation with our family in Virginia. And we landed just in time for a blizzard. And we got stopped a half a mile from our condo because we lost traction in the snow, had to be picked up by the ski patrol and delivered to our condominium. Now, the next day, Bill had to buy chains for our rental car uh, to even get it out of the borrow pit. And when I opened the door, it was like all snow all the way up except for like two inches of light. 
And so we weren't looking for any muscle cars or sports cars to come to our rescue. We, we knew even the semis were not getting through and the mail wasn't delivered that day. Only a tractor, a snowplow could rescue us. And the challenge we have is we tend to compare the pace we run at to the pace other people run at. And we compare ourselves and evaluate whether our pace is valuable. It's better if we evaluate the pace we're running at to the pace God designed us to run at because you're a unique individual. And when you're in relationship with one another, the question you want to ask is how do we set up a way for you to run at your pace most of the time and for me to run at my pace most of the time so that we're both running at our best. And so over lunch, this is a great family activity to talk about what pace do you think you're best at running at, you prefer life to be run at, um, and figure out which uh, obstacle, I mean, which vehicle you are, right? And then common obstacles also might be motivational differences or out-of-sync decision-making or maybe just bitterness, disconnected hearts, or sometimes, like with us, it was our kids, uh, especially one of our kids that was a huge obstacle uh, that we had to beg God for answers how to deal with them. Can you tell from the look on this young man's face that he was a little bit of a challenge to raise? That middle one. Yep. And so I knew Zach might be a little bit of a challenge to raise, um, like early on, when Brock would say about baby Zachary, maybe 18 months old, he's doing it again, which meant that Zach had somehow escaped the house, climbed up on the swing set, jumped on to a limb of a tree, swung himself over to clear the chain link fence, but then got caught by his diaper trying to run away. And so he was a challenge, ADD, ADHD. And we did the learner leader thing with Zach and he was coming right along till he was about eight years old. Spiraled down like negative, depressed. Um, like if he were upset, he wasn't very verbal. And so he'd just beat up who's ever nearest. That's how he handled his emotions. And so one day I walked in and he was beating up his brothers again. And I'm like, Zachary, honey, this is inappropriate. You go upstairs and mama come talk to you. Well, he ran up the stairs. He knocked all the family pictures off the wall. He slammed the door. He picked up a baseball, put... It threw the door, hole in the door as I walk in. I'm like, Zach, honey, you have got to learn to use words. Because I'm thinking in my mind, no woman in her right mind is ever going to marry you. You're going to live with me forever. Use your words. And um, he's like, you want words? Well, I hate my life, and I hate myself. And if God made me, I hate him too. And I said, uh, just a minute. And I ran downstairs and I threw myself across the bed and I prayed a frantic mommy prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a pastor's wife. I'm a director of women's ministries. I write all these Christian books, but I'm raising this little wild night of an atheist upstairs. Could you stop help here? Um, so God, I know that Zach is a treasure because you have told us clearly in scripture, uh, Psalms 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. In the Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. That means according to their God-given bent. In Jeremiah 1, before Jeremiah was even born, I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. God, you have a plan and a path for our son, but I can't see that treasure and Zach's not seeing that treasure. But when I said the word treasure, I'm like, Oh, that might work. So I called Bill up. I'm like, explain this treasure map concept. And uh, I drew up a treasure 
um, map and uh, with blank spaces and a treasure chest and slapped some quarters on it and went upstairs. Zach, you are a treasure to the world, I said by faith. And uh, so every day I'm going to ask you two things. What's one thing you did well? What's one thing positive about your day? We're going to write it on this treasure map. And once a week, I'm going to take you to donuts, and we're going to talk about what God is telling you your treasure is. At the end of eight weeks, Mom and Dad are going to give you X amount of dollars to buy some things to live out your treasure, your calling, your passion. What do you think? This is stupid. It'll never work. Zach, what's something positive about your day? Nothing. Totally Eeyore. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Zach, I can think of something positive about yourself and your day. I haven't killed you yet, kid. <laughs> and so that was the first thing on the treasure map. Zach is alive. And um, then some like miracles start happening. Zach started bringing that treasure map to Bill and I, writing all the positive things he was seeing about himself and his day. At the end of that time, uh, we figured out he was great at sports. We knew that. Uh, we figured out that he loved music, that music was kind of like a calming balm to his little ADD soul. And we found out that he loved people. Yeah, kind of threw us off track because he beat everybody up. But really, people, relationship was the key that unlocked Zach's whole future. And so we bought him some tickets so him and a friend could go to a Christian concert. We bought him some baseball equipment. At the end of the baseball season, the, uh, the all-star coach said, Zach here, he's got the best attitude of any kid I've ever coached. And Bill and I, you have no idea how far God has brought that child. And um, oh, he moves up to high school. This is his senior year. Um, he is on the co-ed cheer team. Um, and they have just won nationals. And so they're going to be uh, filmed by ESPN. And um, so we get on this elevator in Dallas. And this little, um, this little boy, totally out of control, his sweet single mom, they get on with us. And this little boy is like bumping into everybody, pushing the buttons. I look over at the mom, and she's just exhausted by the child. I recognize the look. And so finally she has to deal with him, and she says, Zach? And I'm like, oh, I have a Zach. He's just like you. He's like ADD, ADHD. He has this little club. It's called Hyper for God, and only little boys you, uh, can, like you can be in it, because he found out you can use Hyper for good and not just evil. And um, he used to have like D's and F's and stuff, and he used that Hyper for good, and now he has straight A's, and... He used to be fifth string on the football team, but he's that hyper, and now starting varsity, you know, the last three years, and um, they recruited him off the football team because he, he could do a backflip after he makes a touchdown, and so now he is the captain of the cheer team. They just gave him a scholarship to University of Louisville. Do you want to meet my Zach? And no kidding, she just pushes her kid aside and says, I don't know about him, but I want to meet your Zach. <laughs> I want to see a miracle. And that's just it. God is in the business of doing miracles for your marriage, for your kids, for your grandkids. That's the God we serve. And, um, and so Zach now, like he won um, ESPN coach, no, Gatorade coach of the year. Uh, he was... Um, hired by University of Louisville before he even graduated um, from college and got his master's. And, and then he just got a new job at Grand Canyon University as their head of athletics. And now he, one day, uh, he got down on one knee, beautiful Kaylee, Southern Belle, 
Kaylee, you were on the dance team. I was on the cheer team. God obviously crossed our paths. Will you be my wife? And the girl said yes. And so he did get married one day, and now he's raising two strong-willed ADD kids. <laughs> and folks, we just we share that story with you because the people you're concerned about, they're one breakthrough away from being all that God created them to be. So we don't ever want you to give up on them. <clears throat> but we also know that the greatest obstacle to human relationships is trying to live apart from Jesus. And Jesus is the source of love. He is the creator of all of us. He knows how relationships work. And when you try to do it apart from Jesus, uh, you can make a little bit of progress, but it, you, you hit lots and lots of obstacles. And if you are here today and you know Jesus as your personal savior, you should be immensely thankful for that and ask him for his strength to love the people that you care about. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, I can't think of a better day than today to begin that relationship with him and let his love work through your life to improve all your relationships and forgive you of all that you've done wrong and give you eternal life. And we greatly appreciate this concept because neither one of us grew up in a home that taught us how to love Jesus. Like this afternoon, you'll hear a little bit more about our story, but actually we're like a miracle and our family is a miracle based upon uh, the craziness, the chaos uh, that we have come from. So I wanna close this in prayer, but I'd like us to do two things while we do this. Uh, the first thing is if, if you have somebody that you care about who needs a breakthrough, like you just, you just know that some fear, some pain, some difficulty is holding them back, and you know they need a breakthrough in, in their life. Because I begin to pray, if you would just put your hand up to represent that person, I want to include them in our prayer. And if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior yet, I'm going to give you an opportunity, and I would just encourage you to open up your heart and allow the God who created you to bring his love and strength into your life. And so, would you just join me in prayer? And again, if there's somebody that you know who needs a breakthrough, just raise your hand as I pray. Father, we wanna thank you for being a God of love. Thank you for being a God of relationships. And Lord, we trust that you will put people on our heart because you want us to represent them before you. So Lord, I first of all bring to you every person that's represented by a raised hand. I pray you would meet them in their current situation. Pray that you would break through whatever need that they think is not being met, break through that stubbornness and bring them to a breakthrough moment. Break through the pain that's holding them back or the fear that's holding them back. And, and Lord, have an encounter with them that opens their heart to you and helps them to see your love and your grace and your forgiveness and give them the strength to walk forward in your plan. And then, Lord, if there's anybody in the room this morning who hasn't met you, I pray you'd introduce yourself to them this morning. And if you're here today and you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus, just say in your heart, Lord, it's my turn today. I recognize that I have fallen short of who you created me to be. I have said the wrong things. I have done the wrong things. I have thought the wrong things. And I've honestly believed I could get through life without you. And today I recognize that's what you describe as sin. But I also know you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose from the dead and you're alive today. So please come into my life. Forgive me for all that I've done wrong. Give me eternal life as a free gift. And begin today 
making me the person that you know I can be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Remember, the Bible has the key to success and relationships for your life.